0: For farming in Maine, more information on protecting farmland and supporting farmers at MaineFarmlandTrust.org. And you're listening to WERU 89.9 in Blue Hill and WERU.org. Don't forget, folks, we are volunteer-powered. Love to see you on Darken Our Door anytime. Listener-supported, glad you're out there. And don't forget, we are also a voice of many voices, supported by you. We are you. So we got a couple of minutes before the hour. Um, let me quickly go through the weather for you, and then we'll take our break. It is uh, going to be common ground time at 4 o'clock, so stay tuned for that about a minute away. This afternoon, the remains of it will be sort of cloudless with a high near 19. Right now, it's going down, so no longer C19. Mostly cloudy tonight, low of 9. Partly sunny tomorrow, slight chance of showers, high of 38. Slight chance of drizzle tomorrow night with a low of 35. Saturday, 60% chance, rain likely with a high of 51. So that's going to be a little bit more of a non-seasonal time. Saturday night, 90% in the early percentage the early evening, and then 100% later for rain, then turning to freezing rain. That's a low of 29. So watch out for the driving at that point. Sunday, rain, freezing rain, 90% chance with a high of 35. Watch those driving conditions, folks. Stand by for Common Ground.
1: Good afternoon, and welcome to Common Ground Radio, an hour long discussion of local food and agriculture here in the state of Maine and beyond brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association. My name is C.J. Walk, and I am your host for today's show. Common Ground Radio is a monthly show now airing on the second Thursday of the month at 4 p.m. right here on WERU. So we'll make sure listeners are aware we've moved to the new time, so second Thursday of the month at 4 p.m. for Common Ground Radio. And for today's show, we are going to be talking about the real organic project. The Real Organic Project is a farmer-led movement created to distinguish soil-grown and pasture-raised products under the USDA organic label. So today we will discuss the creation of the Real Organic Project, why it came into existence, and its mission of protecting uh, the organic label into the future. So for the show, I have three guests with me. And I'd like to introduce uh, each of them a little bit and then come back around and let them talk a little bit more about the work that they do. But on the telephone line, we should have Dave Chapman. And Dave is the executive director of the Real Organic Project and is one of the founding members of Vermont Organic Farmers. He runs Longwind Farm in East Thetford, Vermont, where he has been farming since the early 1980s. So welcome to the show here today, Dave. Thank you. Thank you. All right, glad you're there. And then in the studio, um, I have with me Elliot Coleman. So, Elliot is a farmer, author, agricultural researcher, and educator, and he is well known as an organic pioneer. Elliot serves on the advisory board for the Real Organic Project and has been involved in the organic movement for many decades. Uh, Elliot and his and his family run Four Season Farm in Harborside, Maine. So thank you for being here in the studio, Elliot.
2: You're welcome, CJ.
1: And I also have Chris Grigsby. So Chris is the director of MOFCA Certific- Certification Services, referred to as MCS, and MCS provides USDA-accredited organic certification services to Maine farmers and food producers. And MOFCA, as an organization, has been certifying organic farmers in Maine since about 1972. So I'd like to thank everyone for being here today and thanking any listeners for tuning in. Um, But what I'd like to do to kind of get the ball rolling is, in terms of introductions, just come back around for a few minutes for each of you um, to talk about the work you do. And we won't go too far down the the road of the topic yet but i think uh dave if we could come to you first and just speak a little bit about your background of organic farming and and where you are in vermont
3: yes yeah, cj um so i'm i'm on the connecticut river in vermont near white river junction and i have been farming uh, organically for about 40 years almost 40 years now and uh it's great to be on the show with Elliot because he was one of my very first teachers back when he lived in Vermont and we got to know each other. And he was more than generous with his, with his experience and with his library. Um, I uh, started out as a, uh, well, I actually started out on a dairy farm in Pennsylvania when I was a kid. And, um, but in Vermont, I am a vegetable farmer and, I have evolved or devolved from um, a very mixed mixed vegetable uh, cut flower operation to uh, entirely greenhouse tomatoes, all grown in the ground, uh, all grown certified organic.
1: Okay, great. Thanks for being here for uh, today, Dave. And I think Elliot would jump over to you for a brief intro.
2: Sure. I started as an organic farmer back in 1965, before most people even knew how to spell the word, I think. And I've been trying to become uh, better at it ever since then. And uh, so when the when I heard that the USDA was being involved in certification, after... Uh, Certification, certification previously had been groups like MAFCA who were uh, taking care of their own uh, area. I was very suspicious, and uh, I remember being at a uh, conference out in the Midwest sometime during the 90s when all of the the uh, run up to to that was happening, and uh, and one of the sessions they had somebody from the USDA who was presenting what uh, the USDA was planning on doing. And I was just horrified by the things he was saying, but especially by the fact he said that no one would be allowed to say that their food was better than the standards of USDA organic. And being a hardcore anarchist revolutionary, I stood up in the audience, crossed my wrists as if they had uh, handcuffs on, And I said, well, my food is better than the USDA standards. Do you have somebody here to arrest me? But that is the attitude that I think organic farmers need to take toward the USDA because they have been very, very unworthy stewards of what they have been asked to uh, take charge of.
1: Okay. Great. Thanks for the the history bit there. And theres I'll make a couple comments when we get into discussion about some of the history behind there um but I also wanted to jump over to Chris Grigsby from uh, MOFCA certification services
4: Sure. thank you CJ um, so I guess just a brief intro um, about my, myself um, the let's see I've been in the position now just uh, just over three years okay. and um, uh, prior to that and um, in, been involved in sort of local and organic um, food movement in terms of uh, wholesale, distribution, um, and then retail as well, I was the general manager at the Belfast Co-op um, for six-plus years yep. uh, before moving back to the wholesale uh, component, um, was the operations director for Crown of Maine Organic Cooperative uh, for a couple of years before moving over to Mofka. Mm-hmm. Um Personally, um, have I don't have as much history as Elliot and Dave, uh, of course, but i um, you know, in, in my time, I have um, have a homestead in Appleton, and uh, my wife and I sort of built a straw bale house. We met our builder at the uh, Common Ground Fair, actually, in 2001. Nice. Um, and uh, we have a, a very small certified organic blueberry uh, field and, you know, just a general uh, sort of small homestead garden mm-hmm. at this point. Okay. I'll leave it there. Sure. <laughs> All right. Thank, thanks again, everyone, for being here. Um,
1: I will let listeners know that at about uh at about 4.30, we'll open up phone lines for any comments or questions, and I'll give out the number um, at that time. And then another piece of information that I just wanted to share, because there is some history behind this, is that um, when we talked to today about the Real Organic Project and what that is, we'll get that into, into that in just a minute, uh, some of the history behind for some background, if any listeners are interested, we did produce a common ground radio show that aired back on October 6th in 2017, where we talked about the history of organic more or less in the past, uh, the past century. And we had Eric Seidman and Diane Chavera from uh, Mofka were on that show, as well as Jim Gerritsen from Wood Prairie Farm up north. So some of the background history, I feel like, we had well covered in that show, if anyone is interested, and that can be found on WERU.org or the, the brand-new WERU app that is available for smartphones uh, for some more in-depth. But moving forward, um, we're really talking about kind of a time period when the USDA took over the national or created the National Organic Program and the Regulations for Organic Production um, starting essentially in 2002 and moving moving forward. So I think in terms of starting the conversation, um, Dave Chapman on the phone line, I kind of wanted to turn the microphone over to you if you could just kind of explain a little bit how the Real Organic Project came about and some of the issues that really brought organic farmers together to to stand stand behind the organic label.
3: Sure, CJ. So... Um... <clears throat> My personal involvement uh, began about, uh, I don't know, 2012 or 13 when, you know, I was just a farmer. I was a farmer for my adult life. And um, when the USDA got involved, I remember talking about it with Elliot, and I shared his misgivings, but I maybe had a greater sense of uh, impotence about being able to do anything about it. And uh, I just kept farming, um, and there were definitely some things th- that were positive that came from the USDA, as well as, it turns out, some devastatingly negative things. Uh, I, before the USDA came in, MAFCA already existed and had their own certification. Vermont Organic Farmers, this part of Vermont NOFA, already had our own certification. I was one of the first farm that kind of invented that. that OS system, um, and everything was going pretty well. And frankly, the law was a pretty good law. The Organic Food Production Act was pretty good. They they did a pretty good job of uh, defining the the spirit of organic, the soul of organic, and uh, you know they made reasonable reasonable description of of what that would look like as a law. And it was in, in terms of U.S. law, it was pretty inspired. Um, and as we went along, of course, uh, in the beginning there was absolutely no economic market, so we didn't have to worry about bad guys coming in and stealing it. We were just trying to build it. We were trying to build something whereby farmers and eaters could connect and people could find the food they wanted to eat. And, uh, of course, knowing your farmer was always the easiest way, but as we went along, and I was pleased to see that Organic food started to show up in stores and supermarkets and co-ops, and it wasn't all necessarily local. Some of it came from someplace else. So I had organic coffee for breakfast this morning and, and uh, organic oats from the Midwest somewhere. So there, there were successes to it, but as it grew in the marketplace, it became um, it, it became profitable. <laughs> And, and with that uh, money in the water, the sharks came swimming in too. Um, and we started to see more and more pressure on the National Organic Program to compromise in, in pretty significant ways. I was aw- unaware of all that. What I became aware of was that all of a sudden around 2012, 2013, I started to see a lot of uh, tomatoes, which turned out to be hydroponic tomatoes from Mexico, flooding the market at a low price. and They're beautiful. look very nice. And when I discovered that they were hydroponic, I was really surprised because I knew that the National Organic Standards Board, which is the advisory group meant to represent all of us, had made a recommendation in 2010 that hydroponics should not be certified as organic. And we thought that issue was laid to rest. So, I didn't know what to do. A couple of friends, Davey Miskell and I, said, well, what do we do about this? How do you, how do you change some malfeasance on the, on the part of the USDA? And we thought it was almost a, a lack of awareness. So we started some petitions, and we invited farmers from across the country, and we got uh, about 500 farmers to sign it. We were not organizers, we didn't know what we were doing. We got 1,100 uh, civilians to sign it. And as it turned out, we got some pretty significant voices uh, Elliot was one of those people who signed. Fred Kirschenman, Michael Pollan, Dan Barber, and and you know these are people who uh, pack a little punch when they when they say something in public. So the petitions actually started to motivate a dialogue, and at first it was dismissed as a as just some malcontents in Vermont, but it it grew and it grew, and it's now clearly an international debate, and there were a series of Rallies protesting what was going on, trying to bring attention to it. Uh, There ended up being 17 rallies across the country and actually two in in other countries, uh, one in Canada and one in Costa Rica. And all of this led to um, the final NOSB meeting, National Organic Standards Board meeting in Jacksonville, Florida. And 60 farmers flew in from around the country for that meeting, and there was a rally, and many people spoke many really prominent, uh, organic activists, organic farmers, pioneers. And it was an exciting meeting. It was an exciting time to have all these, uh, tremendous farmers together in a room. And these meetings don't normally have farmers. They normally just have lobbyists. And we lost, we lost the vote in Jacksonville. And the vote was, all that happened was the recommendation failed to be passed, but it was, it was, uh, taken up as the hydroponic industry as affirmation and the usda also took it up as affirmation that hydroponics should be certified as organic and we walked away from that meeting uh you know really uh feeling like our the organic label was in ashes so in, in vermont there began a conversation there was a meeting at nofa of about 30 farmers And we said, you know, we should do something. And and we agreed that we should create a a label that represented the organic that we all believed in. And it was a difficult decision, but we decided that we would do it as an add-on to the USDA because we didn't have any money or anything. So um, we required USDA certification, and it took us, it's been in existence for about two years now. And uh, in that time, it's, I would say, growing beautifully. Uh, we've got 220 farms that are uh, formally certified with us with our very simple uh, standards. And our standards are not just about hydroponic. They're also very much about animal welfare and uh, cattle getting, you know, being raised on pasture and chickens actually going out into a field with grass in it every day. You know, the basic things that we're losing these These are foundational aspects of what it means to be an organic farmer and they're being lost in the in the usda program so that's where we're at and we got another 80 farms i think that are approved but not yet inspected so we're really at about 300 farms and we're growing quickly we have applications coming in every day
1: okay all right dave thanks for the For the great background there. Dave,
2: you need to mention the forces that you are up against that have uh, enormous uh, financial resources and uh, government connections and uh, talk about uh, uh, a uh, uh, battle between total unequals. Uh, I think it's amazing that you've been able to accomplish as much as you have thus far.
3: Yeah, we, we are definitely many Davids against a few Goliaths, and <laughs> that is the nature of what's going on. Uh, I just saw a quotation from the uh, head of the National Organic Program saying that less than 1% of the certified farms producers in America are container, hydroponic, whatever you want to call it. But those very few are well, they themselves claim that they're doing a billion dollars a year in sales, and it's actually most of that is in a handful of companies, and they have tremendous uh, lobbying power, and they use it. And the same thing is happening in animal welfare, animal uh, management, livestock management, where you've got uh, probably you know fewer than than. Uh, hundred KFOS, uh, concentrated animal feeding operations, uh, factory farms, that are dominating uh, the the dairy at this point, and for for poultry and eggs, it's it's probably over eighty percent of the certified organic eggs in America are grown in these large factory farms and, and a, a relative handful of farms. So yeah, we're up against. Big money, international corporations, in the case of import fraud of grains from Eastern Europe, we're literally up against the mob. So it's hard. We don't, we don't have much for resources, but what we do have is a lot of people.
2: And but Dave, it. the other thing to mention is that at the same time, we are being undermined by our supposed friends. The <clears> largest <throat> certifier in the country of hydroponic operations is California Certified Organic Farmers, CCOF, which has been around not quite as long as MAFCA, but almost as long. And then there is the Organic Trade Association, which is supposed to be protecting the integrity of organic. And they have been so totally compromised by their connection to the big-money organic people that at the NOSB meetings... CCOF and the OTA are up there cheering for the inclusion of hydroponics in organic. And I've told them both that the O in their name must now stand for obedient rather than organic because the to have groups that you think you know and should be on the side of the good ideas, doing what they're doing is just... Uh, unutterably uh, uh, disgusting
1: okay can i just step in and just for our listeners some clarification <clears throat> part of the piece that's come up a few times is the hydroponic piece and i i think for background as well is what um some of the foundational materials that you can that you can find and people you can hear kind of the stories from is really the foundation of organic being based in the in the soil so I think, um, Dave, could I ask you to maybe just speak a little bit about that foundation of organic being in the soil, that view, and then how does that or does not that fit into the hydroponic system?
3: Sure, sure. Um, so it's, it's very interesting because um, I would say that the, the story of organic that is being promoted as a brand is that organic is uh, pesticide-free. And that's a wonderful thing. I mean, that's we all want that. But if we look back at, at the formation of organic, it was so much more than that. Um, and, if, for example, looking at Albert Howard, who was the first person who, who really, uh, well, he wrote books that I think changed the, the farming movement, and he used the term organic. And he said that, um, you know, a fertile soil, you know, is, is the foundation that provides healthy plants and healthy animals and healthy people. And uh, Will Brinton, uh, a hero of mine from Maine, uh, a longtime soil scientist, has said it's amazing in the in the whatever 60 or 80 years since Howard wrote those words that almost all of soil science and human nutrition and animal nutrition has come to support what he said, that he got it right, that, um, that what happens in a fertile soil, which is enormously complex biologically, uh, not to be equaled by adding some compost tea to your, to your liquid fertilizer, what happens in that fertile soil is <clears throat> brilliant, it, it, and it, it, it provides a depth of nutrition, nutritional integrity, nutritional diversity. That we are naturally uh, co-evolved to thrive on. We evolved as part of the same system that the soil evolved on, and for you know a long time, the soil for 300 million years, us for I don't know 10 million years, that that we've been naturally selected to flourish on on the food that comes out of out of that system. So question of, of whether or not you can give up soil and still, for example, That's something that we all need to learn about more.
2: And, Dave, it's important to note that the entrance of hydroponic into organic was basically a hostile takeover. As you (laughs) mentioned, there was the uh, uh, NOSB uh, prohibition of it, but the man uh, who was the head of the uh, National Organic Program, um, Miles McAvoy, just unilaterally declared that this was okay not going through any committee or anything this was so patently illegal that uh, uh, that was en- enough on its own to make one uh, object to what has happened
5: yeah
3: um, I don't I don't mean to I don't mean to cut Chris out of this conversation but I just respond <laughs> I, I think that that uh, what my uh, what what Elliot said is completely true but I would suggest that the problem is even deeper. It's a systemic thing. Miles, it's not that we had a bad director of the National Organic Program. You know, maybe we did, but but it if if Miles had been a good director, if he had stood up for us, I think he would have lost his job quickly. And my point is is that the lobbying wasn't at the level of Miles. We have on very good authority that the lobbying was Far above that, it was close to Vilsack, it was close to the Secretary of Agriculture. It was done very quietly, and it was done before I had ever heard of any of this. So it was a hostile
2: takeover, but it was a very quiet one. And And even when you were able to get Leahy, who was behind the original Organic Act, to write Vilsack and object to this, he got absolutely nowhere that was how much power was behind the bad guys yeah yeah yeah
3: it was yeah. the bull had left the barn
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> so just for um just for clarification is could could one of you give just a basic kind of definition of hydroponic growing so people are clear we've mentioned some solutions and sprays
3: i i can give a very simple definition i'm for an organic grower i know a lot about hydroponics because i know a lot of hydroponic growers um uh, uh, around the world and some of them are good friends and uh we've never never had any problem they think i'm crazy and i think they're wrong but uh i respect that they do what they do i do think the food they grow is inferior though i think it's nutritionally deficient and that's my belief that's the belief of an organic grower, which is that we think that superior nutrition comes from superior soil health. But the definition of hydroponic, very simple so that everyone can understand it, is any food production system where most or all of the nutrition is supplied to the plant through a liquid feed, that is a hydroponic system. So some hydroponic systems like aeroponics, the roots are just hanging in the air, and you just keep misting them all the time with a liquid feed with nutrition in it. And at the other extreme, you might have a big box filled with uh, coconut husks, shredded coconut husks, and you drip all the nutrition in um, through, through the irrigation. But in both cases, if all you gave was water, the plant would die. Right? So the nutrition is not coming from the coconut husks and it's not coming from the air, and it's not coming from the trough of water that the roots sit in. Whatever it is, they're all different kinds of, of, uh, of hydroponic uh, setups, but in all of them, the plant derives its nutrition from a liquid feed, and that nutrition comes from somewhere else.
2: And the, uh, the people pretending to be organic in hydroponics are getting their liquid feed by processing soybeans, but they're processing GMO soybeans through something called multiple parallel mineralization. And if you can't barely pronounce it, it's hard to imagine what is going on. Uh, is that true, Dave? <laughs>
3: yeah, they do this, this kind of enzymatic digestion. It's called hydrolysis and they pour in the conventional soy meal and they get out something that is essentially very equivalent to the chemical brew that any hydroponic producer will use. And um, because they didn't synthesize chemicals, they're saying, see, this is a natural process and as such it should be called organic. But they, they, they really don't understand organic. They understand hydroponic and they have almost the opposite point of view and our organic producer sees themselves as a manager of livestock of all the things living in the soil and it's their job to feed their their herd which consists of billions and billions of microorganisms and bigger organisms insects and and you know micro spots and and mammals and burrowing things all these things that live in the soil and create this ecosystem and they're trying to keep a healthy, diverse ecosystem. And that way you don't get soil disease, you don't get uh, insect problems because the plants are getting real nutrition, balanced nutrition, and so there's diversity in the whole system. That's the ideal. And uh, hydroponics is the opposite perspective of feed the plant, not the soil. And that's conventional agriculture. They say, we know... Wants, and we know how to how to make it plant available somewhere else in a lab in a factory, and then we will provide the plant with the food it needs. And I think that the thing about conventional agriculture, and it's the thing about hydroponics, is it's it's the McDonald's model. And they're saying, you know, if somebody goes and eats at McDonald's every day, they get big, (laughs) right? They grow quickly. That doesn't make them healthy.
1: to remind listeners that this is Common Ground Radio. Today we are talking about the Real Organic Project, and my guests for the show are Dave Chapman from Vermont, Elliot Coleman from here in Maine, and Chris Grigsby from OFCA Certification Services, also here in Maine. And um, we're just about ready to open phone lines for any listeners that might want to call in with comments or questions. And that phone number to get in here to the studio is 4690500. And we welcome uh, any any calls or um, questions or
2: comments. CJ, could yes. I ask Chris a question? Yes, um, you may. At the start of this, I was always wishing that the mafkas, NOFAs, PASAs, uh, OFAs, all the uh, organic groups around the country would have been spearheading this uh, objection to what's going on. But uh, as was probably unfortunately true, they were more interested in protecting the name organic uh, than rather the uh, the product. And so they were a little timid in doing something. And I've suggested uh, a number of times to people at MAFCA, since MAFCA is, is very... Uh, Upfront and honest about this, and does not certify hydroponic operations, that MAFCA should confront the USDA and state that MAFCA certification means no CAFOs, no hydroponic. And I suspect the USDA would say, well, you can't certify to higher standards than we do. But I bet that if MAFCA did that, it would get enormous publicity, because this uh, leading group was coming out and saying, no, we don't think what the USDA is doing is correct. And I'm quite sure you could easily find many, many people who would contribute all the money you needed to pay all the
4: lawyers to take on the USDA. What do you think about that idea? Um, Well, I think, you know, I, I don't disagree with that notion, and I think that's I, I kind of feel like that is coming around, um, albeit maybe slower than it it may have needed to be. Um, I so I started as as director in December of 2016, and at that point, um, I, I sort of asked a lot of those same types of questions, um, you know, particularly around coming from my background, which is on the consumer side of things, and uh, particularly around consumer integrity and truth in labeling and those types of things, and so um, at that time there were um, it it what we we didn't know what that would look like if um, you know from the standpoint of our over 500 producers if all of a sudden they wouldn't have a MAFCA accredited certifier to to sort of go to if that was the case. Um, but that has shifted uh, pretty substantially in a short amount of time and I think that there are, are a lot of certifiers um, who are maybe not necessarily digging in but I think um, there is a, a bit of a separation in, in terms of um, the the spirit of of the origin origination of the rule and even prior to that and um, so now there are certifiers who are coming out and saying hey we we're in we're not going to certify, you know, hydroponic operations. We don't. We d- we don't certify, KFOs, uh, um, and the like. And and I think that you know we can sort of proudly say that we're in that camp. Um, and it's not it's not a matter of I think at this point worrying um, if if there's going to be a major fight with the USDA or not. I think it's more a matter of, um, you know, stating the our, our interpretation of what. Of what exists in the rule currently, and and we can't see how um, hydroponic uh, production could be certified as organic as it stands now um, from the Organic Food Production Act and the regulations mm-hmm. that exist. Um, and in terms of MAFCA and and the other folks, sort of you know picking up and kind of making a stand. I mean, I think that um, uh, I know that MAFCA recently has sort of put efforts towards, um, I guess creating a bit of a larger public policy um, program and, and with the hopes of sort of, you know, state and federal level advocacy around uh, the protection of the the original intent of the rule.
1: Okay. Well, I think we have a, a caller on the line. I believe we have uh, Nat from Bucksport. If you'd like to go with your comment or question. Uh,
5: in a nutshell, I am wondering how... Or, on uh, meat compared to uh, the vegetable stuff. They, uh, the I the the course is labeled as organic It came from South America and I wonder who's watching over it
1: and what is happening. Um Nat, I'm sorry, you're really breaking up uh, yeah. considerably and uh, we all can't right. really I, make out what you're saying.
5: All right, I'm very sorry. I see that I do have an echo. Um uh
1: you're clearer now.
5: Okay. If you want to ask that question again. Let me, let me try again. Um, I'm curious what uh, organic means in meat, especially when I see uh, stuff that's coming from South America. I have to wonder what uh, who's watching over organic. And okay. I'd, I'd be happy to take my answer off you.
1: Okay. So the question was about thinking about organic meat coming from various countries. And Chris, sure. could you address who? Who's who's overseeing that?
4: Yeah, um, so generally the the USDA uh, National Organic Program, um, it, it's that sort of public private partnership where, where the USDA is, is the accreditation body, and so they, um, it, they're you know essentially they're they're accrediting certifiers within the United States, but also around the world um, to certify to the National Organic Standards. Um, and so theoretically, there is um, consistency in the interpretation of what the rules mean. I mean, the rules were written to be general enough to sort of encompass um, any type of production uh, specifics um, in in any setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the you know, meat coming from South America, theoretically, there's a certifier that's accredited by the USDA, Mm -hmm. um, to, to certify. And so the, the certifier then is, you know, interpreting the rules, um, hopefully as consistently as possible to make sure that the, the rule requirements around, you know, outdoor access and, um, the the feed requirements, the housing, the healthcare, you know, all of those types of things are met. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that that gets, I, I think, a, a bit back to the, the roots of where Real Organic Project kind of came in, is that there was an inconsistency in the interpretation, um, you know, of the rules, which sort of got us to this point with hydroponic and with, um, you know, kfo production uh, being allowed uh, well, to yeah, utilize the, the, yeah, the label. Yeah, I mean, this,
2: the standards are, are not being met. The USDA is supposed to be the policeman on this, and they're not doing their job. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now, if you go into any of our uh, local stores that sell organic, I can guarantee you that all of the berries, that means all the blueberries, raspberries, strawberries, all the tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, cucumbers, are all hydroponic, even though they say organic, and there is not a mention of it anywhere on the label. And when Dave said that uh, it was, you know, starting in in uh, 2012 or 2013 that he became aware of this. It has actually been going on since 2008. And how the USDA could have allowed that to start when there was this statement uh, uh, right from the beginning that hydroponics was not to be included And uh, if you ask groups, and I have, like uh, the California Certified Organic Farmers, what's going on, why are they undermining organics? They will tell you, oh well, the USDA says we can't uh, judge ourselves, we just have to uh, follow their lead. And uh, they say, and since they have never said anything about whether hydroponics is illegal, never said anything about it, we certify people. Well, this is just pure myth and mystery on their part.
1: Okay. Um, we, we do have Dave. Hold on a second. Yeah. On, we do have another caller, a uh, uh, Dave from Brooklyn, that's on on the line. We'd like to get his uh, question or comment in, and then we can come back around.
5: Sure.
1: Go ahead, Dave from Brooklyn.
5: Oh, I think um, I wonder. Uh, I have two two uh, questions: one specific and one sort of an observation of the the specific is, what are the uh, uh, standards in Canada to do with hydroponic and organic? Because I know there's a lot of hydroponic growing in Quebec, Uh, and I wonder whether that is perhaps driving the USDA's uh, rush to certify Also, I can't get out of my mind your earlier comment about as soon as the money comes, the sharks come. And uh, I have to think that uh, the the major portion of this problem we're discussing has to do with not being able to supply our food needs locally. Uh, Whereas if we could,
4: no problem.
1: Okay. All right, Dave. We'll we'll address your your question about hydroponic in in Canada. Maybe Dave Chapman, sure. would you like to address yeah, that for I,
3: us? I I know a bit about that. Um, so Canada uh, prohibits hydroponic um, on their rules, and they have a definition that uh, I would say is is prone to um, misinterpretation, but. Interestingly, Canada has, in the trade agreement with the United States on organic, uh, we, we have reciprocity. We uh, accept each other's standards. So if it's certified by the Canadian government as organic, then it can be sold as organic in the U.S. And there are just a few exemptions on that, a few exceptions. And one of them is about hydroponic. And if you grow something and it's certified by USDA and it's grown hydroponically, then it cannot be sold in Canada legally.
2: As organic.
3: As organic, exactly. And, you know, I, I don't actually think it's being upheld. Um, I, it might be. It might be that, um, you know, the certifier for Driscoll's is very carefully monitoring everything from their world supply chain because a lot of their stuff does go to Canada. So I don't know how that's being enforced. But I will say that Canada is, in the EU, the rule for organic and it's it's for the whole EU is that you must grow something that is certified organic in the ground. You can grow, you can have transplants in containers, but you cannot grow a crop um, through its harvest cycle in a container. And in Canada, they said, well... We think you can grow in a container, but we're going to insist it's a really huge container. It's really big. And, I, you know, what I would say is that there are hydroponic producers who will say, fine, <laughs> I don't care. Tell me how big to make it, and I'll make it that big. And tell me how much soil you want in. I don't care. Tell me how much compost. I'm still going to feed it liquid feed and lots of it. And it's still going to essentially be a hydroponic thing. You have to remember that for a long season tomato crop or pepper crop, you know, it's, it's a one-year production cycle. So those plants uh, live a long time, and if they're in a small container, they simply aren't going to uh, be enough, enough in there for their nourishment. So, um, yeah, the way it works with Canada mostly is that uh, they're stricter than we are, and EU is stricter than either. And I agree that uh, local organic is, of course, the best. It's always best to know your farmer. Even better is to grow it yourself. But in our complicated world, uh, everybody that I know buys some food that is grown not locally. And, um, and what we would like is, you know, in the old days we had these co-ops and, and we ordered together and we went through a lot of work just to try and eat well. And now it's so convenient. You can just go to the store and get organic food. But is it? You know, and, that, and that's my question. I think that's what uh, was asked by the person before. Can I trust that if it comes from some other country, is it really organic? And no, you can't. And can I trust if it's from this country that it's really organic? I'm sorry, but no, you can't. Um, the, it, in my local co-op, the organic chicken is from a big CAFO in Nebraska, and that's how it is. So um, I'm sure that the the people in the meat department are unaware of it. They're not evil people, but they're trusting the USDA label, and it is not always trustworthy. And I hate to say that because I will always go out and buy organic. I will, but I also buy it knowing that I really do need to know who I'm buying from if I want to be assured that I'm getting what I think I'm getting.
2: Dave, the old saying was always if you want to be assured of quality food, you need to know the first name of the grower, which is why if people in the Blue Hill Peninsula want to eat real organic food, they need to buy it from one of the wonderful farmers all over the Blue Hill Peninsula who are farming organically as it was meant to be done. I agree,
3: and, and, and the farmers and the, the eaters in Vermont and Maine are blessed because they have um, such a wealth of really talented, uh, experienced farmers and young farmers who have uh, got the model of the older farmers. It's, it's a wonderful thing. But for people in much of the country, they do not have those choices. And, you know, I, I know uh, people in, in Kansas, and they say they live in a food desert that they can't buy good food in the store. They just can't. And and then there are many places in between. So I think that we have to relate to food as part of a food system. And if we're, if we're blessed, if, if we're privileged to be in an area where there are a lot of good farmers, that's lucky for us. But a lot of people I know and love are not in such an area. I'd like them to be able to buy good food, too.
1: Understandable. Um, we do have another call. So I believe uh, we have someone from Dover Foxcroft on the line. We didn't get the name, but if you wanted to go ahead with your your question.
3: Oh, hi. It's the Analog Anarchist from Dover Foxcroft. I, I know you guys worked long and hard uh, getting uh, getting the USDA in on this. Uh, what, you're, what you're finding is the nature of government. That, that's the way it is. They're corrupt. They do that kind of stuff, and, and they're influenced by major uh, uh, industries. And that's the way it's going to be, and it's always going to be this kind of a battle.
2: Thank you very much. Okay. I, I agree with the, with the <laughs> caller. I mean, I may be a, a suspicious old hippie anarchist, but I never have been certified because I knew from the beginning that this is exactly what was going to happen. The minute you got government in, it was going to take things downhill. And I remember, here's a quote from the USDA director when they introduced the standards back in 2001. Organic food does not mean that it is superior, safer, or more healthy than conventional food. And you want to say, well, yeah, why did you Mm -hmm. go to all the trouble to to certify it? I mean, they have never believed in what uh, the organic growers have uh, succeeded at. In fact... I think they have been trying to get back at us ever since we (laughs) proved them wrong. I mean, you know, I've been in this game, as I said, since 65. And back then, everybody from the USDA, every professor of agriculture was telling us that this is absolutely impossible to do it this way. Mm -hmm. And they were not happy to be proven wrong by a bunch of people with degrees in English literature. (laughs) I I, I think
3: that quotation that Eliot Uh, just said was actually from a a secretary of agriculture. It was. It was from a secretary of agriculture, yeah. But let me me, uh, be, I can't believe it, but let me be the moderate here for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) And a couple things. One is it's not just government that screws things up. The fair trade movement kept themselves private and didn't have the government get involved, and they got screwed up for the same reasons, which is that there was still money in the water. And so a bunch of corporations in America realized that people cared how the people who work on the farms are treated. And, so, and they didn't qualify for the Fair Trade label, so they created Fair Trade USA. Can you tell the difference? I need to go and ask experts every time to go, well, wait a minute, which one's the good one? <laughs> they know what they're doing. They're very smart. So whether we had gone public or not, the sharks would have come as the market developed. The second thing I want to say is that Denmark is a pretty good example of a government that has been pretty responsive to the desires and needs of the people, and they've committed what um, would be the equivalent of billions of dollars, uh, in terms of our relative economies, to taking the country organic. And and they're very successful. They're already at 40% of their milk uh, and eggs are certified organic. And as far as I know, that's real organic, not CAFO organic. And I think 35% of their produce. So it is possible to have a government and to work with that government. It's just our government is pretty dysfunctional right now. And thirdly, last one, is when we look at things like climate change, we realize that we're up against problems that we cannot solve locally. And we can be spectacular, Maine is spectacular, but we need to develop a, a world movement in order to deal with a world problem. Because if somebody in another country is destroying the environment, as it turns out mostly we are, the people in the other countries are the ones who pay the price. You know, people in Bangladesh are gonna die in the millions because of of our affluence. But we need to all be working on this as a As a world, not even as a country, so some problem, and I think food system ultimately is part of that, although we can have good local food and and I believe in that very much and i'm I'm very grateful that I live in Vermont I and mean, I know that you all are grateful that you live in Maine, but <laughs> but we're yeah. part of a food system and and you know if somebody else is hungry in another place, that should be my problem too.
1: Okay, Dave. We have um, we actually have one last caller on the line. I believe we have Sarah from Cushing. We're getting down into the last five or six minutes of the show, but um, Sarah, if you wanted to go ahead with your question, we'll we'll address no, that.
3: Thank, but, thank you for having me. My husband and I have a very small farm. We're just homesteaders. Um, we're trying to improve our soil. We, we have several mammals
5: and some birds. But um, in terms of vegetable gardening and preparing for climate change, we were thinking that we would maybe add some greenhouses and try hydroponics too. But I just wanted to know if – I really respect organic farmers, and it's, it's a long process. But I wanted to know if you could maybe give us some tips for improving the nutrition in terms of greenhouse growing or hydroponic growing with our own fertilizer
3: like from our animals.
5: Is that a possibility?
1: Oh, dear, Sarah. Um, uh, that might be a longer answer. Yeah, it's we'll, a, it's we'll a, a very
2: long answer. And the if you are aware of the amount of energy in most of the hydroponic operations, especially the large ones like Plenty that are doing this in warehouses, so all of their light is coming from LED bulbs uh, and uh, uh, the amount of electricity needed to run all the pumps and the filters and the rest of that and the plastic troughs that are made. Uh, By God, the soil does this so effectively, uh, so inexpensively, that uh, farmers all over the world can farm organically in the soil because what makes it work is not buying inputs like hydroponic does, but all of the free management techniques like green manures, cover crops, crop rotation, uh, farm-derived compost, that anyone with a, a shovel, a rake, and a hoe and some seeds can duplicate.
3: Mm-hmm. Can, Sarah, could I just suggest, um, Elliot actually has several very good books about growing in greenhouses in Maine. And, okay. Um, so that would be a wealth of... Uh, you know, how-to information that, um, you know, uh, I think would be very helpful. He's, he's really done a spectacular job of making that information, of growing year-round with very, very low input. One thing I would say, of course you can do it hydroponically, and uh, but it's really exciting to do it in the soil. So, uh, you know, why not try it? And, and you know, Elliot's books will give you a beautiful model of how to do that.
4: And we had Chris wanted to throw in some information too. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to add along with, with Elliot's books and the and the wealth of knowledge there that Moffa, uh you know, does a lot more than just sort of certifying farms and, and producers. And um, there are folks there and, and information and, you know, probably past episodes that they could look up of, mm-hmm. of the show in terms of some of those pieces as well. And and uh, some of the folks at Mofka will, will actually sort of work one-on-one with, with farms and homesteads and gardeners and things of that nature uh, free of charge. Mm-hmm. So lots of lots of good resources out there. Um, we are getting down
1: into the last three minutes of the show. And so um, I just wanted to turn back to you, Dave. And um, if people are looking for more information about the Real Organic Project, could you just, I know you have a website, yeah. but just give out that information in sure. the next
3: you know, sure, minute sure. or so. CJ, so if you go to realorganicproject.org um, or if you just Google Real Organic Project, you'll find us. And uh, there is a, a wealth of information there and you can learn all about us um, I also invite anybody who's listening to come next April 3rd and fourth to the real organic project symposium at Dartmouth College in uh, Hanover New Hampshire and um, if you're if you're a certified farmer with us it's free if you aren't it's fifty bucks a day it's an amazing uh, gathering of organic pioneers and scientists and and speakers so uh, journalists it's really going to be a very rich two days and lots of great side conversations as well as the main thing Uh, people who went last year said it was the most transformational
4: uh, workshop they had ever
3: been to
1: Okay. Person.
4: Yeah, I just wanted to follow up um, to Dave com- Dave's comments there and just sort of mention that Mafka um, has been working with the Real Organic Project, um, particularly over the past year, and um, has sort of come to an agreement in terms of how Mafka um, and Real Organic Project um, are aligned. And so just to sort of mention that folks that are – if there are folks out there that are Mafka certified um, organic farms producers – um that they can sort of sign up for this add-on free of charge and the annual inspection that takes place um for the certification mm-hmm. um, from MOFCA um sort of also ties into that uh, real organic project process as well. Okay. And we currently have i think um I think there're maybe 8 uh, MOFCA certified farms that are also real organic project certified as well. Okay. All right. Well, we are down
1: into the final minute. Elliot, I'm going to look at you. Do you have any closing thoughts that you can have in one brief sentence?
2: Well, the <laughs> the customers of the world have a lot of power, and I would love to see letters rushing out of the Blue Hill Peninsula to the USDA mm-hmm. saying, wait a minute, I thought we made sure of the quality of organic food when we supported the original program.
1: Okay. Well, Thank you, everyone, for being here. Uh, We've been talking about, this is Common Ground Radio, we've been talking about The Real Organic Project. We've had Dave Chapman on the phone from Vermont, Executive Director of The Real Organic Project. Thank you, Dave. Elliot Coleman here from the Blue Hill Peninsula. Chris Grigsby from MoFCA Certification Services. I've been your host, CJ Walk. And please remember that Common Ground Radio is now the second Thursday of the month here on WERU from 4 to 5 p.m., and we look forward to seeing you next time.
6: Listening to Community Radio, WERU FM 89.9 Blue Hill, and streaming worldwide at WERU.org. Here's a quick look at the National Weather Service forecast for the Greater Bangor, Midcoast, and Downeast regions. For tonight, it'll be partly cloudy, overnight lows 10 to 15, temperatures rising into the 20s after midnight, northwest winds 5 to 10 miles per hour, gusting to 20, increasing to the south at 15 to 20 miles per hour and gusting to 30 miles per hour after midnight. Friday looks partly sunny in the morning, then some clouds roll in with a 30% chance of rain showers in the afternoon. It'll be brisk, but not as cool. Highs 35 to 40, winds out of the southwest at 20 to 25 miles per hour, gusting up to 40. Friday night cloudy with a slight chance of drizzle. Near steady temperatures in the mid 30s. Winds out of the southwest at 5 to 10 miles per hour with gusts up to 20. Saturday a cloudy day. 70% chance of rain with a slight chance of drizzle in the morning and then rain likely afternoon. It'll be windy with highs around 50. Winds out of the southwest at 10 to 15, increasing 20 to 25 miles per hour in the afternoon. Saturday night, we can expect rain, freezing rain after midnight, lows 28 to 32. And Sunday, rain and freezing rain in the morning and then rain likely with a chance of freezing rain in the afternoon, highs 32 to 38. In the marine forecast for the Penobscot Bay Area, tonight winds are out of the north at 5 to 10 knots, shifting to the south at 5 to 15 with gusts up to 25 knots after midnight, seas 1 to 2 feet. Friday, southwest winds 15 to 25 knots, gusting up to 30 knots, seas running 2 to 4 feet. And Friday night across the waters, winds will be out of the southwest at 10 to 15 knots, gusting up to 25 knots, seas 2 to 4 feet. This is Community Radio, WERU-FM. Stay tuned for Common Ground Radio. This is Radioactive, an environmental and social justice news journal for January 9th, 2020. This is Meredith DiFrancesco. Yesterday, Maine's Land Use Planning Commission, LUPC, voted 5 to 2 to approve the site law certification for Central Maine Power's highly controversial New England Energy Connect Corridor Project. The project now goes to the Department of Environmental Protection. Today we hear from some of